Hello everyone and welcome back. This is Steve Hendricks, president of MDOT Care. I'm again joined today by Dr. Tom Hale. Uh, this will be the last in our series with uh, Dr. Hale. Uh, the first uh, podcast, uh, we focused kind of on the state of the industry, uh, state of the healthcare industry. In the second podcast, we really went through a, a real life case uh, study of his work uh, with the Mercy Virtual uh, Care Center. And today we're gonna really extend uh, the focus into what's next. Where, does, where do we go from here? We've now proven the model. We know it works. How do we get this exploited out into, and maybe exploit is not the right word, uh, get this out into the industry and make it more uh, readily available to the patient population. So uh, with me today again is Dr. Hill. Uh, are you with us? Steve, right here, anxious awesome. to talk about uh, how we make this practical, huh? Yeah, very good. Well, thank you for joining us again. Uh, so, as I said to uh, Dr. Hale, I'd like to dig a little deeper uh, into where we now go. You, I love when you, you, you do your presentations and you talk about the fact that a patient, an average patient, the average human being, maybe through their doctor visits, through portals, through whatever current means, they maybe see their medical team maybe 30 times in a year at most. Some of us far less than that. Uh, I try to avoid the doctor, thank you very much. But for our really sick patients, there has to be a better way. What happens the other 330 days out of the year? And I think that's where this virtual care model really comes into place. So maybe I'll hand it off to you to kind of pick up from there, talk a little bit about where we're at today and then how we move this forward uh, into the healthcare industry. Well, you know, it, 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 it's it, a overused phrase, but and and then we always attribute it to Einstein. But if you keep doing the same thing you always have done and expect a different outcome, you're probably nuts. Well, I think that's what the healthcare systems have done for such a long period of time, and what we've learned through those experiences within the uh, uh, virtual care world, the centralization of the resources, the interface of the patient and patient engagement. Uh, the ability to actually manage the meat and potatoes, not the Superman moments, but the big ahas are the things that, that you wouldn't even think of. Does a patient have the right medicine? Or do they know what they're taking their medicine for? Uh, do they have an appointment with their doctor? And right. do they have a ride to get there? How are you going to know that if your only contact with them is uh, uh, a tenth of the year? Um, so what what we began to understand through our ambulatory program and through the, the use of our, our MCARE platform was that we could get a 360 degree view of that patient by getting the information on them, the not only the clinical information uh, got, uh, obtained through surveys, through asynchronous communication like emails yeah. and texts. We could send uh, that patient information. Uh, we could have a video visit with that patient. But we'd also have their monitors uh, and understand their vital signs. We could send them surveys, uh, which would help us understand how they felt. And we could begin to understand the social determinants of health, which are so important uh, when it comes to patient care. And then on top of that, uh, it, it, where one can say it may take a village, it certainly takes <laughs> a family uh, around that patient, whether they be related or whether they're uh, uh, concerned caregivers, but we would bring the family in to not only understand what is happening and what the, the, 
the diseases are and the medications are for, but also get information from them, their observations. So the whole aspect gives you now, like I said, a 360-degree view of that patient right. and gives you the ability to communicate with that patient uh, 24-7, 365. Uh, we go, you go back to fundamentals, and you've heard me say this many times, the two fundamental things that make this uh, uh, whole piece work is you increase access to care. Right. And so the patients don't do stupid stuff. If you remember the last part that I had talked about, when I say stupid stuff, I mean going to the emergency room because they can't get hold of their doctor or they're told to go to the emergency room by their doctor's uh, uh, answering service. And it decreases variation in care because we have that 360-degree uh, view of the patient. Well, and I think you, you hit on something else. You know, it's not just the, the clinical team either. By incorporating friends and family and caregivers into the mix, all of that ecosystem around that patient where they're constantly being, uh, you know, not watched, but, you know, did grandma take her pills? Did she take her walk? Can I remind her about her doctor visit this afternoon? There's more eyes and ears and, and people watching, and I think that's extremely important. And we've seen tremendous value out of that extended reach into those other uh, people involved in the care of that patient, not just the clinical team, although obviously that's a big part of it. Well, and to that point, um, you have to establish a multidisciplinary team within the centralized location mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's helping to, to work with those patients. So we, we started what we affectionately called our first hub, which was the that group multidisciplinary team that uh, managed uh, about 500 uh, critically chronically ill patients who were ambulatory. Um, and the cost of doing that, say, in a MA population is about $22 PMPM. Now, if you're a, a someone out there buying care management services, you're probably choking right now, <laughs> except because of the results that we get, which is in right. those particular patients that we manage, we decrease their cost by 60%. Uh, and they have a retention of almost 97% who uh, join the program. We get a return of savings of somewhere between 112 and $150. That's awesome. 20, it, you know, it's like anything else, Steve, you have to invest money to make money, right? Yeah. And if you're investing, if you're investing money in a care model that keeps the patients at home, keeps us from doing things to the patients, uh, coordinates that communication between the, the patient and their caregivers and their supports, their social support uh, system and their family. How could that be bad? Right. I want to come back here in a minute to this concept of a hub. But before I do, I, you know, one of the things that, you're, that I know is dear, near and dear to your heart, uh, as it is to, to uh, us here at M.Care, is for so long, we've been such a reactive society. We react to people's pain, to their illness, to their condition after the fact. And what we're seeing in these models is now we're sitting on a bevy of data. And if we can begin to apply predictive analytics to that data so that the clinical team, the, the physicians, anybody involved in the care of that patient can now proactively reach out and intervene with that patient before they end up back in our hospital or before they end up back in our ER so we can see them as they're beginning to uh, uh, deteriorate and we can intervene 
so that we can be proactive in our care, that's where things really, really begin to change. And I know that's really important to you. Yeah, we've, we've just begun to scratch the surface. Uh, and we've only just begun to scratch the surface because we've never had the ability to have that 365 days worth of information from that patient. Not only the information from a clinical standpoint, but also mm -hmm. the social determinants of, of, of their care. Uh, and and really come to understand that patient's daily uh, daily life, and and because of that, like I said, we've only scratched the surface. We know that that our measures of who the critically chronically ill patients are uh, is very crude at the present time. Yet, as you gather that data, you can start to bring in artificial intelligence and machine learning, and now you can you can instead of taking a large swath at at at, at that percent of the population, you can start to laser your resources to those that need it the most mm -hmm. and, and make sure that those that still need, need the, the care because it, it's, it's important, but maybe not need the entire uh, focus that they needed when they were more critically ill, uh, you can begin to determine that. And as to your point, you can then start to have not only uh, a better selection, as to where those resources are utilized, but also you begin to develop predictive modeling that allows you to, to intervene much earlier in a, in a patient's condition, uh, which in theory, and, and we've certainly started to see that in action, uh, should uh, allow for a much better health experience and better outcomes. Absolutely. So, you know, it, kind of for me, if you summarize it, you, you've, got, you've got a technology foundation coupled with a clinical team, and that clinical team makes up, the back to your vernacular, a hub, and that hub of clinicians and non-clinicians that, that cover a patient population of 500, now you can begin to address your nurse shortage problem, your physician shortage problem, because now you're able to really monitor a much larger patient population with the same or fewer staff you also have all of this data now, so you can actually be proactive in the care of that population. So it seems to me like it's a really good situation for everybody. It's, you know, I hate to use this term, everybody uses it, but it's really a win-win-win for everyone. The patient, the care team, the, the healthcare system, uh, what, why isn't it more widely adopted? So, you know, so I'm stuttering for reasons because there's part of me that says I don't understand it, but there's other part of me having been very much in the administrative uh, roles of, of a large physician group, very much being in practice for 25 years, is that healthcare uh, healthcare is a very conservative group of people, yeah. and they move they move very cautiously. But I, and, and in all actuality, the patient is actually pushing us to move in that direction much harder than the physicians and the, the hospital administrators are. Uh, but uh, to your point, it's better care. It decreases the geographic boundaries, so it increases access. It decreases variation in care, uh, and it allows people to live in place and be at home. And it isn't going to replace the physician that are the, the nurses, they're still necessary, exactly. extremely necessary, and that relationship is not, uh, is not deterred. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Hale, I, uh, you and I go back a long way, and I couldn't thank you more for participating in these uh, last three podcasts. It's been, I've learned stuff. I hope the audience has. It's been informative, 
It's been entertaining. It's been enlightening. So as always, it was a pleasure to spend time with you. We really appreciate uh, uh, you joining us. So thank you very much. Uh, Steve, my pleasure always and always look, actually look forward. Hopefully we get some, some interesting questions because that's where we learn. Absolutely. So to, to, to Dr. Hale's point, if you do have any questions for myself or Dr. Hale, please email them to steveh at m.care. We're gathering those questions and in a future podcast, we'll be addressing those uh, hopefully uh, here in the not too distant future. So again, to the audience, thank you for your time. Dr. Hale, thank you for your time. Uh, that's a wrap for today. Uh, take care, everyone, and goodbye.